Welcome to Helping Kids Be Kids, the Little Lighthouse podcast, where our passion is to help parents of kids with special needs be confident caregivers. Our mission is to glorify God by improving the quality of life for children with special needs, their families, and communities. We are currently looking back at our listeners' favorite episodes. Last week's was about how to help your kids navigate feeding problems, and today's episode is about sensory processing. Our guest in this episode is Jody Howe, an occupational therapist here at the Little Lighthouse. She describes to us what sensory processing is and how we are all sensory beings made uniquely by God. There are some great quotes in this episode about how we all experience reality differently and should look at this as a gift and not a burden. Thanks for tuning into this episode, and don't forget to subscribe to the podcast. Season 3 starts August 9th, and you don't want to miss our new episodes. Now here is Sensory Processing, a Compassionate Perspective. Welcome to the Helping Kids Be Kids podcast. We are here to help parents of kids with special needs be confident caregivers. The Little Lighthouse is a Christian developmental center for children ages birth to six. And our mission is to glorify God by improving the quality of life for children with special needs, their families, and communities. I'm your host, Christina McIndorfer. Today, we have a topic that's close to my heart. We're going to be talking about sensory processing. Um, My background is um, occupational therapy assisting, and my guest today is Jody Howe. Welcome, Jody. Hello. Thank you for having me. I'm so excited that you're here. Um, Jody and I met just less than a mile from here mm-hmm. at a therapy clinic where we were both doing therapy, and she was my supervising occupational therapist. So. I know, and I'm so happy we both found ourselves at the lighthouse later in life. I know. Jesus must love us a lot. He does. <laughs> a place to be. Jody, could you give our audience a little bit of a background about who you are, how you've come to work at the Little Lighthouse, and maybe a little sneak peek into how therapy functions at the Little Lighthouse? Sure, I'd love to. Um, I graduated from the University of North Carolina with my master's in occupational therapy in 2014. So I've been practicing for coming up on six years. And I've always done and loved pediatrics. Uh, Prior to occupational therapy, I worked one-on-one with kids with autism, doing some applied behavioral analysis. Um, And before that, I even tried teaching for a year Mm. um, and then decided that I would rather work I would rather work one-on-one with kids. And then I felt called to the lighthouse and um, and back in the classroom. Wow. Full circle. It's yes. so fun how God, like, I, it's so clear at the lighthouse to see how God um, equips people through all these life experiences. And then they come together and you're like, ah, oh, my life makes sense now. Yes. And that is definitely what happened. Um, one of the things I love about working at the Little Lighthouse is that um, the teachers and therapists all work together in the classroom. So instead of the traditional pullout therapy where I would take a kid out of the classroom um, to work one-on-one with them, which I do every once in a while for assessments or for extenuating circumstances, um, instead I go into the classroom, into their regular routine, And if the classroom's working on eating their snack, I work with a child on making sure he um, or she can use their spoon or cup or whatever they need to access their snack. So it's really doing therapy within the classroom environment. Wow, that sounds like the dream. 
It is. <laughs> it is. I think it's a really um, powerful model because you're doing therapy in everyday life. Mm-hmm. And just a little background, the Little Lighthouse is a tuition-free developmental center for kids birth to six. So um, we are able to be tuition-free because of the generosity of our supporters. And we actually don't bill Medicare or insurance companies for the therapy that we provide. So it gives us more freedom in how we structure our therapy delivery model. Yes, and much more freedom as a therapist to really be creative and work with the other therapists and um, pray and ask where God might be leading you that day. That's, that's really profound. And it's amazing to see the results that we get because we have those freedoms. Well, could you give us an overview of what you're going to share with us today about sensory processing? Sure. I'd love to. So today we're going to talk about what sensory processing is, and I'll start with an overview of all the senses Um, And then we're going to dive into understanding it a little better through the concept of threshold. Um, And then I'll explain a sensory sensory processing framework that I really like that was developed by Winnie Dunn, an occupational therapist, that gives four sensory processing patterns. So we're going to talk about that and try and find ourselves in those patterns. Um, And then we'll talk about some practical examples um, of how to work with kids who might be... um, living in one of those sensory processing patterns. This is so exciting to me because I actually decided to go into therapy because I was working as a teacher's assistant at the Little Lighthouse. And I was so curious about the rationale behind the decisions that the therapists were making. Mm -hmm. Uh, One time I was working with a young boy who had spastic cerebral palsy and we were tossing balls to him in the gym and he he couldn't catch it. Mm -hmm. And so they gave him a bare ball. And Um, I wondered, well, why did they choose that ball? Why did they choose the properties of that ball? Why not a small ball? He has a small hand. Right. And so I was so thankful getting to go to school and study those things more in depth to be able to problem solve myself. And so as we're speaking to parents today, I'm really excited about how you're going to empower them to know a little bit of the theory so that they can problem solve through things for their kids more independently and understand where their therapists are coming from and the recommendations that they make. I love that. I think, I do think that understanding theory and framework really helps with the why of why we do the things that we do. Yeah. So Jody, what are the senses? All right. Well, you probably remember the ones you learned in elementary school, um, taste, smell, touch, hearing, sight, Um, But then there are two more senses that we often don't talk about, um, and those are the vestibular and the proprioceptive sense. Um, And so the vestibular sense is located in your inner ear and really gives you the sense of um, balance, helps some with spatial orientation. It helps you know when you're up or upside down. Um, If you've ever gotten seasick or dizzy Mm -hmm. on a roller coaster, Mm -hmm. that's your vestibular sense, trying to figure out where you are um, in space and which way is up and which way is down. Okay. And then your proprioceptive sense is really closely linked to your vestibular sense. Um, And this sense has receptors all in your joints and muscles and connective tissue and helps you know where your body is in space. So... If you were going to close your eyes and touch your nose, the fact that you can do that is because of your proprioceptive sense. Okay. 
So if you're driving, don't try that. Right. <laughs> <laughs> well, okay. That makes sense. Yes. Good. And, and, you know, in school, we usually talk about the senses separated, but really they're just, they, they're integrated and they work closely together. Yes. Okay. So what's sensory processing? So sensory processing is something that we just as humans are doing 24 seven. It's really how our brain um, receives, processes and interprets sensory information. So a lot of times we don't talk about sensory processing until it's getting in the way of function. Often mm-hmm. we hear about kids with sensory processing disorder or mm-hmm. children with autism. But I think a point that I'm really passionate about sharing is that we are all sensory beings. And mm-hmm. this is really how we experience our world is taking in information, figuring out what to do with it, and then taking action. Mm-hmm. So if you've, you know, if you touch a hot stove and pull away your hand really fast, that's your sensory information um, built to keep you safe. So mm-hmm. A lot of our senses have developed over time to keep us safe and are, are giving us information. And mm-hmm. I think that's a really thing, important thing to keep in mind when sometimes we wonder why kids are doing the things that they're doing. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that makes sense. So we we all have sensors, but we maybe become more aware or attuned to them when people's sensory processing is different than ours. Yes, yes. And because we're all uniquely and wonderfully made by God, um, we experience reality differently. And I just, I think when we look at that as a gift and not a burden and look at it from a point of curiosity of, wow, I get the chance to see how you or your child experiences the world because it's different from how I experience the world. That's, that's mm. a gift. Hmm. Yeah, that's so good. So in your introduction, you mentioned the concept of threshold. What is that? Okay, it's just a, a fancy term for the point at which we experience a sensation. Okay. So there may be kids who you could really lightly touch and they may jump. It may scare them because they have um, a really low threshold. And so the tiniest of touch could, might scare them. Mm. You may also have a kid with a high threshold um, that you could be you know, tapping on the leg and they're sleeping through class. So mm. it's really just a word to describe the point at which you experience a sensation. Oh, okay. That makes sense. Cool. So you mentioned Winnie Dunn, I think earlier, or maybe yes. you hadn't brought her up yet, but I know that she's been really influential to you. What's her theory about um, threshold and the four main sensory processing patterns? Sure. So Winnie Dunn is an occupational therapist um, that has really spent her life studying sensory processing, and she's the one who developed the Um, sensory profile. If you've ever been to an occupational therapist for sensory processing, Mm. they often give you the sensory profile. So she developed that um, really based on her work that I love of of we're all sensory beings and that we often fall into these one of four sensory processing patterns. Um, So I will do my best to explain these patterns without a visual. But basically, if you have two axes, a y-axis and the x-axis, um, stick the this idea of threshold 
on the y-axis. So okay. you may have a really high threshold, so you need a lot of stimuli, or you have a really low threshold, so you need a little mm -hmm. bit of stimuli. So, so that's it's like one a sliding line. scale. Yes, a okay. continuum. Okay. Um, and then the other continuum on the x-axis um, is basically, she calls it either your behavioral response or your um, self-regulation. So basically mm -hmm. think of it as what your brain does with the sensory information. Are you passive, which would okay. be on one side, or are you active? Okay. Do you just kind of internalize all that information or do you do something about it? Okay. So that up and down visual mm -hmm. is um, how much information it takes in order to register. Yes. And the side to side is how responsive that your body is to the information you're getting. You got it. Okay. Stick with cool. me because as soon as we understand these access, the four patterns just make so much sense. Okay. Um, so in the top left corner, you'll have your registration pattern or your bystander. So this person has a really high threshold, mm -hmm. but their response is passive. So this is the kid that may um, have food on their face and not notice it. So there's a lot of sensory information and they just don't notice mm -hmm. or the kid that's sleeping through the fire alarm. Okay. And these kids are often not identified at school because they're pretty easy to get along with. You know, mm. these these are sometimes they're a little slow moving, but these these kids often aren't identified. Okay. Uh, they're not necessarily diagnosed as having a yes. sensory difference because they're easy going. Yes. Okay. Okay. So now we'll move to the right, um, and these are sensory seekers, and we hear a lot about these kids. So these kids have a high threshold, so they need a lot of input, and their brain response is active. So their brain is saying, we need more input. You got to do something. So these are our movers and shakers, uh -huh. um, our kids that have a hard time staying in their seats. Um, they may push other kids in line, mm -hmm. um, but really it's because their brain is telling them we need more stimuli and we're mm -hmm. not sure where our body is in space. Okay. So those are sensory seekers. Okay. So I'm, I'm picking up from this that some behaviors that we're seeing may have a sensory component. Yes. Okay. Yes. And a lot of times people want to know, is it behavior? Is it sensory? And so many times the answer is both. Mm-hmm. Because there's often an underlying sensory component mm -hmm. mixed with a behavior. If the behavior gets a certain reaction, they may want to do it over again. That so makes sense. I really think that they're closely connected. It's usually mm -hmm. not one or the other. Mm -hmm. um, okay, two more. Stick with me, you guys, on this theory part. We're almost done. You're doing great, Jenny. Thank you. Um, okay, bottom left. This is... Uh, this pattern is one that I strongly identify. It's called your sensory sensors. Um, so these people have a really low threshold, but their response is passive. So I have a low threshold to sounds. I feel mm -hmm. like I hear every single sound in a classroom. I used to not be able to tolerate if there was a ticking clock mm -hmm. or kids tapping their pins. Mm -hmm. I always wanted to take tests in like an isolated room because I had such a hard time drowning out all the sounds I was hearing. Mm -hmm. um, but then my brain response was passive. It was like, stick this out. 
You're not supposed to get up, stay in one spot. Mm. Um, so a lot of times these kids come home from school and their teachers say, oh, they were little angels. They're wonderful. Yeah. And then they come home from school and they're, they're in a safe place mm. and they may just melt down or be oversensitive or need a nap because they're exhausted from trying to filter out all that the stimuli. Sense. Yeah. And then the last one um, are the sensory avoiders. So these kids also have a very low threshold, but their brain is active. Um, so their brain is telling them to go and that this sense may be dangerous. So if a kid hears a loud noise, their brain is telling them, get out of there. This might be dangerous. So these are okay. the kids that may, you know, cover up their ears and scream um, if they're avoidant of sounds. Okay. That's great. That's a good foundation. So am I understanding correctly that the ones whose brains are more responsive, that they're more willing to take action mm -hmm. to the senses that they're taking in, those are the ones that we tend to notice more yes. what their sensory differences are. Yes. Because the brain, because they're taking action, mm -hmm. the result are behaviors that are usually quickly identified by, mm -hmm. by teachers and parents. Mm -hmm. um, so we often talk most about the seekers and the avoiders. Mm -hmm. um, but I just like to, to, to show that there are two other patterns. Yeah, um, that's really that you helpful. May identify with. That's really helpful. So, did you have any more theory you wanted to share, or are we ready to kind of transition into how you would troubleshoot different? Um, behaviors with this input yeah. information. I think the only other thing I want to say about the theory is, is that I'd love it if everybody listening would just take a moment um, to think about if one of those patterns um, sounds like you. I think it's really good to think about our own patterns mm. before we start mm. um, troubleshooting our kids. I think it just gives more mm. compassion and curiosity um, towards ourselves and why we do the things we do. Mm -hmm. um, my sweet husband, who wouldn't mind me sharing, mm -hmm. um, is a definite sensory seeker. Mm -hmm. um, and we'll be in the car and I will be tired from work and say, honey, can you turn the music off? And he'll say, sure, no problem. And about 10 seconds later, he's <laughs> drumming on the steering wheel, tapping yes. his foot. He just, yes. he needs the stimuli and he will just make it himself if it's not there. Yeah. Um, and he's not... He's not saying in his head, I'm going to make noise to bother Jody. You know, he's, he's <laughs> yeah. really just needing that stimuli. And so once I understood this framework, mm. it honestly helped in some of my relate. It helped me mm -hmm. in, in my relationships as mm -hmm. well, because it just gave me a little more compassion for why people might be doing the things that they're doing. Yeah. It gives you a language to understand differences. Yes. Yeah. Yes. Without saying, stop, fix it, you know. <sighs> It's more about, hmm, I wonder why you're doing that and what, mm -hmm. how could we change the environment <laughs> so that we can both be happy? And maybe that requires me putting on my headphones. Yeah. Yeah. Maybe more focusing on like, this is what I need yes. in order to regulate myself. Is there a pattern that you relate to, Christina? I can identify with your husband. Okay. Okay. <laughs> Sensory seeker. Uh, yeah. I, I wiggle around a lot. Yes. <laughs> so that's cool. All right. Well, I'd love to know some examples that you have from the school setting of how you implement um, this theory into practical ideas. Where would you want to start with that? Sure. Let's, let's, we can just pick a couple of 
of senses. Okay. And then um, some strategies I use for avoiders and seekers. I love it. Let's do it. Okay. So let's say you have a tactile seeker. So this is a kiddo that wants to touch the walls, wants to touch all the toys, just needs to explore their environment through touch. Um, And so I always think of first, you know, instead of telling them stop doing that, I think, okay, it looks like they're liking to touch things. (laughs) How can I change the environment so that they have a space that's safe to touch where they're not bothering other kids and they're still getting their needs met. Mm -hmm. Um, So sometimes, especially with older kids, something as simple as a strip of Velcro under their desk, Mm -hmm. um, just giving them something or just a little fidget toy, something in their hands. Just thinking about that makes me feel more calm. Yes. (laughs) Do you need a rubber band? (laughs) I might have one in my purse. (laughs) Giving them a rubber band or something to play with. Um, is sometimes just makes a huge difference. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. It's like you, it, I, my experience is I have like this internal energy and it needs an outlet. So yes. it's not necessarily, I, I guess I don't always interpret it as needing stimulation as much as needing a space to direct the energy that I have inside. Does it work both ways like that? I think that makes sense to me. Okay. <laughs> um, and then if you have a kiddo that's avoiding, Um, tactile stimuli. And so we have a lot of this with our kids that don't like messy play and Mm. don't like to try new textures. And sometimes this results in picky eaters because if you don't want to touch something new, you definitely don't want to put it in your mouth. Right. Um, And so my first step is always, okay, where are they at now? What is comfortable for them? So if they can tolerate a messy texture just sitting on the table and they don't have to touch it, then we'll start there. And then I'll give them a spoon or a paintbrush or something that they can interact with it Mm -hmm. without having to get their hand dirty. Yeah. It's like you start where you're, where they're at. And then I add a tiny little step and see if that's okay. Mm -hmm. And then another tiny little step and see if that's okay. Mm -hmm. That makes sense. But also just just following their cues, because if you push a kiddo too hard, it can really cause an aversion and they'll be less likely to try it for a long time. Yeah, because then they have a negative experience associated with that scary sensation. Right. And then you've just confirmed what they thought was true. You know, it felt really scary and then it was even scarier than they thought. Yeah. So just really, really honoring their requests. And if if they're nonverbal, you can still honor cries and facial expressions and and some physiological symptoms are um, hiccups or yawning Mm. or tips of ears turning red. If you see any of those things, sometimes sometimes those are symptoms of I'm I'm overstimulated. Okay, that's really helpful to know. Neat. Okay. So um, one thing I kind of picked up on from what you said, you were talking about people who are tactile mm-hmm. at seeking or avoidant. Um, it sounds like maybe every sense has a different threshold or could have a different threshold. Is that true? Yes. That's a great point, Christina. Okay. Sometimes, and sometimes people may, you don't have to pick just one pattern. Sometimes um, I'm kind of a, a seeker when it comes to taste uh-huh. and smells. Uh-huh. Um, 
but an avoider or a sensor with with sounds. So you can have a different pattern for each sense. Thank you for bringing that up. Okay. That's a good point. And because of that, yes, you have a different threshold for each sense. And also... It may, it may depend on the day and the time of day and, and in the mornings. I think, again, it just helps to think about yourself. In the mm-hmm. mornings, I can listen to loud music on my way to work. After work, I don't want any sound on in the car. Mm. Um, so I like the sensory system because it is always changing um, and it's kind of a, it's a puzzle and it depends on the day. And I know this can be frustrating in a world where people want black and white answers. Yes. But it makes sense from what you said before about yourself is you're having to process through this accumulation of distressing senses. Yes. And so you don't have that at the beginning of the day, you've got a fresh start and then Mm -hmm. you're heading home and you're needing to allow yourself space to process. Yes. That makes sense. I love being able to answer the questions of why am I experiencing the world like this? It's so helpful. I think, you know, even as a parent, it would be helpful to understand where you're at and how you're processing things. I know a friend of mine who's also an OT often talks about how her, she had an experience with all four of her kids all around her and she was trying to carry on a conversation on the phone and she got to a point where she, she reached that threshold and Mm -hmm. she kind of lost it. And, um, I think that understanding why we kind of bump up against those thresholds in ourselves helps us to realize it isn't, it isn't always that our heart is wanting to hurt people. We just need to know how to express our needs and uh, be able to process through that. So maybe in the future, we can set up the scenario to, to have more success. Totally. I, I think most people can relate to that, that experience of being totally overwhelmed. I think of a picture of a, a cup overflowing. I even mm-hmm. say that to my husband sometimes, like my cup <laughs> is really full. So I'm just going to take a break and then I'll come back. And then I feel much better. Um, but I am, you know, after so many years, am able to understand that about myself and ask for what I need. And so while our kids may not be able to process that or talk about it, um, we get to be the detectives for them and help give language to what, the, what they may need by just trialing different different things, different movement breaks, different quiet times to see if that helps them learn to regulate their system so they can eventually advocate for themselves. Yeah, that's so good. What sense would you like to talk about next? Um, I want to make sure we get to uh, vestibular and proprioceptive. So let's do that one next. Because I, I would say that is the one that I see a lot in the classrooms of kids craving movement or deep pressure. Um, and I think just in our society in general, um, with so much technology, um, which is also a great thing, but kids are, are moving their body less and playing outside less. Um, and it Mm -hmm. really affects the development of your vestibular and proprioceptive sense. Hmm. That makes sense. Mm -hmm. So we got to get outside and play more. Yes. And move our bodies. Yeah. Let's dive into that one. Okay. So if you are or have a kiddo that um, is a movement seeker, they have a hard time sitting in their chair, 
um, or they love rough and tumble play, jump on the couch. Um, I think in the classroom, some of the easy things I do are um, give them a think about how can I give them movement while they're sitting? So mm. things like a wiggle seat, um, a, a cheap adaptation for a wiggle seat is to get a dollar store beach ball and just blow it up a little bit and then let them wiggle on that. Yes. It, it probably won't last as long as a wiggle seat, but it's only a dollar. That's great. And then you can at least try it out and see if that's going to help. Yes. Them. Yes. Or in, um, in the classroom, we tie TheraBand around the chair legs so they can bounce their legs. Which is like a four-inch wide rubber band yes. for therapy. Okay. Yes. Um, and also just thinking about how to incorporate more movement into your daily routine. Um, maybe, you know, in the classroom, we talk, you know, we all walk to the gym. Well, maybe this child or maybe the whole class can bunny hop to the gym mm. trying to think about how to get more movement and more pressure into those joints. Mm -hmm. So maybe at home your child could could bear walk to the bathroom. You know, every time they go to the bathroom they do a bear walk or every time they get home they have to do they get to do 10 wall push-ups. Just putting yes. a little bit more movement into your everyday routine can really make a big difference for these kids. And to me, it sounds like it's really proactive. Like, let's make it a game. Let's like figure yes. out how to have fun and give your body the movement that it needs as opposed to like making it kind of some kind of like therapeutic job that we have to do right. or an exercise. That's great. And so everybody benefits no matter where you are on your scale of sensory input, everybody benefits from more awareness of their joints and where their body is in yes. space. So, Which is, why, again, why I love the model of the little lighthouse. It's like, let's just have the whole class do it. You know, if one kid needs it, let's everybody try and do it. And I think you can do the same with your family. Even if you have one kiddo that's a big mover and a shaker, the whole family can bear walk or do an obstacle course in the house or just little, little changes to add more movement and pressure. I also love those... Uh, just single trampolines mm -hmm. are sometimes really, really good tools to have in your house. And they're inexpensive. Yeah. I don't think they're that bad. I think maybe $20 or something. Yes. Yeah. But that's a good way to get some energy out and lots of good pressure into your joints. What about hugs? Oh, lots of hugs. <laughs> yes. I love bear hugs and deep squeezes um, and just thinking about putting pressure into the the major joints. So like if I'm giving a kid deep mm -hmm. pressure, pressing on their shoulders or pressing, um, but, you know, one hand below and one hand above their elbow, mm -hmm. pressing mm -hmm. together. So think about the I big... Like at a right angle? Yes. Okay. So think about the big joints and then think about pushing into them. Mm -hmm. Does that mm -hmm. make sense? Yeah. Kind of squeezing them together. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. And, and, you, and you just feel the kid out. There's really not a prescription that fits every kid. Sometimes I kind of start with three on their shoulders and see how their body responds. And sometimes their whole body relaxes. Mm, yeah. And then you can empower them to be able to express, I need a hug. Yes. Or can I go for a run? Or kind of figure out how they can get what they need in a constructive way. Yes. I love that. Once, once they've calmed down. I think it's really important to add language to, it looks like your body feels calmer, you know, just start to teach um, those emotions mm -hmm. with the action. 
so that they can eventually advocate for what they need. Yes, that's perfect. Well, Jody, this has been awesome. Oh, good. I hope, we, I hope it gave everybody a few, few good ideas. Yes. Do you have any parting thoughts that you would want to share to parents or educators in a school setting um, to just encourage them in helping kids you know, or maybe even just um, keeping that positive perspective you shared at the beginning about how uh, we all have senses? Yes. Um, I just think that... It's really important, like I've said a couple of times, to to take a mindset of uh, curiosity and mm. stop labeling behaviors as good or bad. But mm. just let's be curious as to what they're trying to communicate to us because their their brain is telling their body to do something and it may not be their choice. And like they, like I, I didn't choose to have a, a brain that, can constantly hear a clock ticking. You know, I didn't choose that. And somebody telling me to get over it is not helpful because I still hear it. Um, So just coming from that place of curiosity and compassion, um, first for yourself and then obviously for your children to figure out why they're doing the things that they do. Mm -hmm. One of my heroes in bonding with kids, it's Barbara Sorrells. And Mm -hmm. she always says, trust the reality of the child. Oh, I love that. There's so much grace in that. Yes. And it's a, it's a gift to get a little glimpse into somebody else's reality. Mm-hmm. Okay. Well, thanks for being on the show You're today. Welcome. I have one thanks for having me. Final question for sure. you. Jody. what does it mean to you to help kids be kids? I think it means, man, the, the gift of being able to witness Um, be a witness and be a participant in the beautiful life that God gave them Mm. Um, to not always try and and change them but instead like learn learn from them so good I love your heart Judy (laughs) thank you well if you enjoyed this podcast please consider joining the crew a passionate and determined group of monthly givers on mission to discover solutions that change the future of kids with special needs. To learn more about The Little Lighthouse, please explore www.littlelighthouse.org. Until next time, enjoy your kids.